Hi, I'm Michael Siddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline, a podcast about polling. We release new episodes every two weeks. You can also uh, see us on YouTube. Uh, Nick, first, our, our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine as they fight off this increasing invasion from Russia. Uh, the West is fighting back with sanctions, uh, but there's a lot of Russian money uh, invested in places like England, where you were just uh, visiting. Where What are you hearing from there? Well, first of all, the weather was nicer there. It was like plus eight. How's that? Not Ooh. to say that this podcast is about the weather forecast in different places, but it was plus eight in the UK. And uh, the interesting thing that was being talked about was obviously London is an international center for money from around the world, from the mm -hmm. Middle East, from Russia, from China, from the United States and Canada. Um, but the big focus last week in the folks that I talked to on the ground politically was how much Russian money is there in UK politics? Mm. How much money are the parties, the, the, the national parties like Labour and the Conservatives, have they been receiving from? uh you know russians and stuff like that so the so the sleeper issue is you know foreign money in domestic politics mm. and uh, that was one of the things that a lot of people were uh, were focused on in the context of the uh, russians invading the ukraine mm. uh well nick uh, in this episode we're going to talk about uh, how canada is uh, reacting to the crisis in ukraine uh we'll also do a provincial check-in with with uh covid19 restrictions and how they seem to be loosening across Canada. And uh, again, speaking of the crisis in Ukraine, uh, US President Joe Biden had his State of the Union address last night, and that was a major focus of, of that speech. So uh, we'll talk about that. Um, but first off, uh, so Canada, we've we've announced our own sanctions. Uh, we, how, how do Canadians feel about what uh, our government has done so far? Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, we are at war. Michael, we're at war. Maybe we're not in a hot war with the Russians, but when we look at the sanctions, the travel restrictions, all those things, the military support, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, Canada as part of uh, NATO is part of an effort to undermine and weaken the, the Russian economy in response and through sanctions in response to its invasion. So you can pretty, pretty, put a pretty face on everything, Canada is at war today with Russia, except it is an economic and financial war. And you know what we know, at least from uh, from polling that we've done in the past, that you know Canadians are more likely to support sanctions compared to what I'll say a hot war with troops on the ground. That uh, whenever there is a government that believes that troops need to be on the ground, Canadians are cautious. Uh, are you know usually they support the objectives of the mission, but can the mission be achieved? in terms of what the objectives are is another point. So right now, at least, you know, if you happen to be prime minister at a time when there is an international crisis and you're on the same platform as other major G7 NATO European leaders or the president of the United States, uh, it's usually good when Canada stands shoulder to shoulder with its uh, NATO allies in the face of what I'll say, one of the biggest invasions of a country that mm -hmm. we've seen in uh, in in quite a long time, because we have a superpower, one Russia, which is still a military superpower, invading a, the Ukraine, which is not an insignificant country. It's a major economy, 
and uh, you know, has a pretty, you know, it's a, it's a country that has more people than Canada. So it's a pretty significant. So it's usually good news when, uh, when the prime minister of the day stands shoulder to shoulder with, mm. with uh, NATO leaders. Uh, and I think as you just referenced, there's, there's a lot of Canadians who are personally uh, affected by this, who, who have friends and family there. Why don't, why don't we talk about yeah. that? Yeah. Well, think of it this way. According to Statistics Canada, when we, uh, when we went to their great website, how about this? I'd like to plug Statistics Canada. Go to the Statistics Canada website anytime you have a question. <laughs> not not every do. day someone does that. That's a yeah. good Nick. <laughs> so uh, according to the Statistics Canada website, there are 1.3 million Canadians who are Ukrainian or who are of Ukrainian descent. Why this is kind of interesting is that uh, if, if the government uh, decided to have a, a policy or a more aggressive initiative to welcome, I don't know whether we're going to call them refugees or what, but... Mm-hmm. Ukrainians fleeing their country in the face of a Russian invasion. The fact of the matter is, is that Canada has a massive Ukrainian community. It has massive infrastructure through Ukrainian Catholics, Ukrainian Orthodox, the kind of the infrastructure and uh, and other types of uh, cultural groups that accepting Ukrainians into Canada who are fleeing a Russian invasion would be a very light lift in terms of integration. We also mm-hmm. have to remember that the Ukraine and Ukrainians are very Euro-facing, you know, very sophisticated, uh, very sophisticated population, highly educated. They, you, most of them speak Ukrainian, Russian, and English. So, uh, so if uh, if the government ever decided to uh, be uh, welcoming of individuals fleeing the Russian invasion, it would be an easy lift for Canada to absorb those in individuals into the Canadian population and to uh, welcome them as part of our uh, country. Hmm. And uh, I think the last time Canada opened its arms to, to a large uh, refugee population was, I'm, I'm guessing, Syria. Um, and, you know, that made headlines around the world. It it received a, it seemed to receive a very positive response uh, amongst Canadians for, for our efforts. We, we seem to have a, a history of this. Yeah, and you know we have a history, but we have to remember that Germany accepted a million Syrian refugees. So mm-hmm. we may want to pat ourselves on the back on how nice and wonderful and welcoming and caring that we are, mm-hmm. uh, and and we are a country that is uh, that is very welcoming. But uh, there are other countries that actually accepted much more refugees. The fact of the matter is, is that politically. Uh, in our polling, at least, whenever we've tested on accepting refugees for humanitarian reasons, and I stress that, that there's usually a pretty good level of support. Um, and But what people still want is for it to be an orderly process for them to be screened like everyone else and, uh, and, and to welcome them into the country. It's uh, on the refugee or immigration front, people only get a little nervous when it seems to be out of control, unregulated, like people showing up at the border, like mm-hmm. some individuals were in, uh, in the West and also in, in Quebec, that's when it's a bit of a slippery slope. But when it's a, when it's a refugee strategy that's, uh, that's orderly and for humanitarian reasons, usually Canadians are quite supportive. I, I should also add, Nick, I mean, we, we saw enormous challenges and difficulties uh, with uh, Afghanistan, Afghan refugees, especially interpreters helping the Canadian Armed Forces uh, the Canadian government is still trying to get uh, many of them out of Afghanistan. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, it can be quite difficult. Um, I want to talk about how our federal government has uh, responded in terms of, of the leaders. Uh, 
specifically Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He he had a you know he took a hit I guess with the with the trucker convoy protests uh, faced faced a lot of criticism from a lot of different people. Uh, how is he doing? How is his personal brand so far in, in this? Well, this truckers uh, convoy protest was not uh, was quite a mixed bag for for Justin Trudeau. You know, the interesting thing is that when we tested on on the different elements and the implementation of the Emergency Act, that about two thirds of, of Canadians were okay with freezing bank accounts, and they were good with the Liberals introducing uh, the Emergency Act. But the kicker is, Michael, when we ask Canadians whether their impression of Justin Trudeau had improved or worsened as a result of his handling of the truckers' convoy protest. 47% of Canadians said that it had worsened mm. and only 20% uh, said that it had improved. So it's like a net negative by, you know, more than, uh, more, more than two to one. It's had a negative impact on his brand. So what does this mean? That Canadians were good with uh, him uh, introducing the Emergency Act eventually and the purpose of the Emergency Act, but his journey throughout the truckers' protest was did not reflect well in terms of his personal brand for a significant number of uh, of Canadians, and they were mm. probably unhappy with how long everything took, unhappy with some of the comments that he made uh, that uh, were not flattering. Why don't we say of uh, of the trucking's protest, and uh, as a result, his brand has taken a hit. So, you know, we talk about changing the channel sometimes. Well, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine changes the channel because now Canadians are fixated on, uh, on the Russian invasion and things like the pandemic and things like the truckers protest seems like now, Michael, a thousand years ago, but that was only like last week. It's like mm. a thousand years ago that, uh, that the truckers protest at least was uh, put to rest was uh, only recently, but it seems like a long time now. Mm. And, and uh, now with Justin Trudeau being on the same stage as a lot of other NATO leaders talking tough about Russia. Um, he looks a little more prime ministerial. It's going to be interesting to see whether, whether this has a positive impact on his brand in the coming weeks. Uh, actually, I want, I want to backtrack and go, you, you mentioned NATO, uh, Nick. I mean, NATO yeah. is rarely in the headlines uh, and, and all of a sudden it's, it's, you know, Canadians are reminded of how important it is as an organization. Uh, how, how uh, going forward? I mean, how how does this affect Canada's impressions of, of of NATO? Well, you know, in our long term polling, Canadians generally have a positive impression of NATO, and it's NATO's kind of like the security insurance policy. Mm. Like you don't know it exists, and you don't know all the details, but then when something goes wrong, Canadians go, "Thank goodness we have insurance," mm -hmm. right? And NATO is like that from a security perspective. It's been on the ropes because many countries, and why don't we just put, including Canada, have not been spending what they should be spending on defense. Uh, but you know, uh, I think for I think in this particular instance with the uh, the open aggression of of Russia against the Ukraine, that it puts a spotlight on the relevance of NATO. The fact that I think many people are happy that NATO exists because it provides a framework. Uh, at least to kind of manage and protect uh, Canada's and NATO's uh, security uh, interests. And the other thing that we saw, Michael, I don't know if uh, because I follow German politics fairly closely, is we saw we saw the the Chancellor of Germany, Olaf Scholz, uh, say that he was going to increase uh, spending on defense. Mm -hmm. And uh, considering the size of the of the German economy, for him to kind of move towards two percent 
of GDP on defense is actually a massive investment. So, uh, but I think we have to say in terms of this, the war in the Ukraine is that I would say that everyone is a loser except for NATO. I believe that, you know, you, the Ukraine is a loser because it will have a setback, even if there's a good outcome to this. Putin will be a loser because it will, it will not be a clear win for him. The West will be a loser because globalization is being undermined as a result of this with, uh, with all of the sanctions and stuff like that. And then why don't we just put as a footnote, perhaps a minor winner might be NATO and the increased relevance and commitment to NATO. Hmm. Uh, in, in the past, Nick, uh, the liberal brand has been intrinsically linked with with Justin Trudeau. I mean, it, the two are the same, uh, essentially. But during this crisis in, in Ukraine, we've seen his cabinet ministers really uh, kind of shine. Uh, I'm talking about Anita Anand, Christian Freeland, of course, and and uh, Melanie Jolie. Um, uh, how how does this affect uh, the, the Liberal Party's overall uh, support amongst Canadians? Well, we, we haven't seen a material bump in the support for the, for the Liberal Party in the short term, but what it does allow the Liberals to do is to uh, frame themselves as, uh, as proactive. The other thing that's interesting is that <clears throat> the response of the Liberals to this allows them to highlight their team. You know, you talked about the Minister of Defense, Anand, talked about Jolie, Minister Freeland, um, that it allows, uh, it allows the Liberals to not just focus on Justin Trudeau as the Prime Minister and the leader of the Liberal Party, but mm -hmm. on the Liberal team. So it's too early to tell whether there's any kind of uh, bump or improvement in the Liberal numbers. But right now, what we're seeing is uh, kind of steady state. Mm. Uh, and, you know, still the numbers between the Liberals and the Conservatives fairly tight in the national ballot numbers. Uh, now, on the other side uh, of the aisle with the Conservatives, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a leadership race. Um, Candace Bergen, of course, is the interim Conservative leader. Uh, and we got a new face uh, in this race uh, recently, Jean Charest, former uh, uh, Quebec premier. And, not officially, uh, and not officially. Not officially. But he is <laughs> not officially. He's not, he's not potential. Potential. So I, I, I face, apologize. The face in the race? Is that what I, you're I apologize to Mr. Shrey, but uh, but yeah, I mean, how I mean, he is a, a progressive conservative, uh, and and this is a party that uh, you know has has uh, I don't know their strategy. They seem to be going either slightly more to the center right, since you know I, I I'm I'm very curious what your what your thoughts are on uh, Shrey entering potentially entering potentially. Pardon me. Well, it it adds an interesting dynamic because we have Pierre Poilievre, who's declared and openly declared and openly aligned himself with the truckers protest convoy uh, and, uh, and, and, and that, what I'll say, segment of the, uh, of the population. So in, in what we have with uh, speculation related to former Quebec uh, Premier Jean Charest would be more of a, a progressive vision. But you know what? He's got to be looking at that, this and thinking, well, you know, look, let's think about Aaron O'Toole's experience, mm -hmm. right? He's, you know, he is a conservative. He tried to veer a little more to the progressive side of the equation during the, uh, during the election. He did win more votes than Justin Trudeau and uh, didn't do too bad in the election. His personal brand actually improved quite significantly, but his caucus is much more right-wing uh, mm -hmm. than he was. His caucus is probably more right-wing than rank-and-file conservative members. And then his caucus is also much more right-wing than conservative voters. So I think Sheree's got to be looking at this and thinking, 
yes, perhaps he could win an election, uh, depending on the situation, but it might be a bigger hurdle for him to win the leadership of this particular configuration of the Conservative Party. And even if he did win, it would be difficult probably for a progressive to manage this caucus, which is mostly based in the West and very socially conservative uh, compared to the past. Hmm. Uh, let's go over to NDP leader uh, Jagmeet Singh. He's He's been very strong on uh, opening Canada's borders, uh, expediting the process for Ukrainian refugees. Um, um, how is the NDP doing? Well, the NDP in our tracking is in the high teens, so they're not doing too bad. And I think Jagmeet Singh is well positioned, but he need, basically needs the Liberals to make a misstep in order for the NDP numbers to go up. Uh, well, let's let's move on to our uh, provincial check-in. We're seeing, I mean, it's not an election. We're talking about federal politics. It's not an election year for them. At least we don't think so. Who knows? But but it is one in Ontario where Ontario Premier uh, Doug Ford is loosening uh, COVID-19 restrictions. Where how, how does this play out for him? Is there a link uh, to this being an election year? Well, I think, uh, let's face it, all politicians are thinking about their uh, re-election, regardless of where they are in the mandate. And uh, for for Doug Ford, at least, it's it's coming up fast because it'll be, you know, hypothetically in the first part of June. So like TikTok, Michael will be talking about an Ontario election quite quickly. Um, and what's also very clear is that a number of uh, provinces are very game and interested in loosening restrictions on, mm -hmm. uh, on people's day-to-day -day lives uh, because they feel that the two years has been enough, that the pandemic has generally run its course, that now we have to shift to a situation where it's about managing our lives within an endemic that hopefully will not be as life-threatening as the beginning. Uh, in your issue tracking, where, where does the uh, pandemic sit right now? Well, it's been trending down. If we look at the trend line, you know, it's been a roller coaster for the last two years. But right now, coronavirus is only at around 18% as the top national unprompted issue of concern. It's basically almost at a three-month low. We haven't seen the numbers this low since the beginning of December. Wow. Um, Nick, we're going to take a quick break. But after we come back, we're going to talk about uh, U.S. President Joe Biden's State of the Union address. Uh, Nick, U.S. President Joe Biden had a major State of the Union address uh, this week, uh, you know, at a time of crisis uh, and fierce Republican opposition. Uh, how, how do you think he did and, and where are his uh, what's his polling at right now? Man, his polling isn't great. You know, when we when we look at the tracking by Ipsos Reuters on uh, uh, on the approval rating of Joe Biden, you know, you check out this long term trend. Uh, at least since he's been uh, president, you know, as of February 23rd, 53% of Americans disapproved of uh, his performance, while only 43% uh, approved. And, you know, you can see looking at the trend line that at the beginning, you know, he had the honeymoon and his, his approval numbers were good, net positive. But Afghanistan derailed that, among mm -hmm. other things, uh, on the domestic agenda. So uh, the State of the Union address this week was a key opportunity for Joe Biden to punch a massive reset button uh, on his presidency and to hopefully, for him, get behind, uh, why don't we just call it the Afghanistan fiasco uh, mm -hmm. in terms of him uh, withdrawing and, and also to refocus on the domestic agenda. So he had everything last night. I watched the State of the Union address 
he obviously talked about the Russians and the response to the Russians and uh, economic, very strict uh, and tough economic sanctions. He talked about inflation. He talked about gun control. He also talked about uh, jobs and supply chain resiliency. And this is where Canadians should really uh, perk up and listen because, you know, in a world where war is being fought economically, uh, trade is probably the first casualty. And, and this is where Canadians have to be careful that we don't become uh, the unwitting casualties of, uh, of a pro-American policy where it wants to be more resilient against supply chains from anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, de- democratic governments have traditionally been this way. I think uh, uh, Republican governments seem to be more open to, to uh, 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 looser trade with, with Canada. Um, I, as you pointed out, the, the Afghanistan withdrawal was a major issue for Biden. And, and, and I noticed he was, aside from NATO obligations, was, was uh, very clear that he did not want to put uh, American soldiers on the ground in Ukraine. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, is uh, he's lucky Ukraine isn't part of Europe or NATO because, uh, well, the reality is, is if the Ukraine was part of NATO or Europe, the Russians would not, I do not believe the Russians would have invaded. They're in that kind of, they're kind of in the waiting room, right? They want to be part of Europe um, and, uh, you know, European entrance into the European Union for the Ukraine uh, would basically be uh, almost like a gateway to NATO protection. Hmm. Um, so, you know, they're unfortunately for the Ukrainians in terms of their own security as an independent nation with some sort of democratic integrity, they're in a bit of an awkward spot now because they're neither part of, of Russia, nor are they part of Europe. And, uh, and as a result, they're in a, they're in a, they're in a very vulnerable place where the president, and you know what, we have to do a shout out to the president of the Ukraine who has been very effective uh, communicating and mobilizing support uh, in the face of uh, realistically overwhelming force hmm. from, uh, from Russia. Uh, so President Biden has been very forceful in, in his position against uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, his uh, f- former US President, Donald Trump, not so much. Uh, he's actually said some kind words uh, about Putin. I mean, what's What's going on there with with uh, parts of the Republican Party? And I think uh, I think Trump's going to backtrack a little bit, right? Because mm. uh, I don't think anybody wants to, uh, you know, put on their social media feeds selfies with Vladimir Putin. I'll tell you that much, because uh, uh, you know Putin's become a four letter word right now in terms of the international community. There's probably a pretty high likelihood that he'll be a pariah. I think he's got to worry about whether there's any kind of blowback because, you know. It's, it's one thing to invade a country and uh, domestically in Russia to kind of uh, have an invasion. And then, you know, if as a result of the invasion, your credit cards don't work, your money's being seized in other countries. If you have money in other countries, you can't use your electronic bus pass because Apple Pay has been mm-hmm. turned off. That's yeah. one. Uh, I think that's where Vladimir Putin has to be very careful uh, in terms of the real impact. And that's why I said, Michael, this is a war. Maybe we don't have troops on the ground, but these sanctions that Canada is supporting basically have declared war on Russia, and Russia is is trying to retaliate. And you know the other interesting thing: twenty five percent of the natural gas in Europe comes from Russia. Who knows what the Russians might do 
in order to put more pressure on uh, on Europe, especially if they're in a situation where they are negotiating a settlement of some sort. So it's too, still too early to tell what will happen. Nick, let's uh, let's leave it there. Um, as always, thank you very much. Take it easy.